Hey everyone, my name is Jonathan Brooke and this is Eyes Only. Janice walks next to his wife. She pushes a little red cart carrying their two children. Janice searches the crowd of people, looking for Zeller. He sees him, and they embrace each other. Zeller vividly remembers feeling Janice exhale in a way you can only understand if you have ever escaped death. They are standing in the terminal at Ronald Reagan International Airport. The nightmare is over. They have escaped the Taliban for good. His children have a future, thanks to the hard work of Zeller and everyone who supported the effort to bring Janice over. The sad reality is how difficult it had been. It had taken over 10 senators advocating for Janice and a constant lobbying effort in Congress to get his visa approved. John McCain would even step up and show his support for Janice. Zeller describes this effort as something that cannot be replicated for all the interpreters who are still stranded and in hiding. In a CBS interview, Janice explains one of the things he loves about America. He says, one of the reasons that he's so happy to be in the U.S. is that his children can go to kindergarten. In Afghanistan, the children learn to carry guns, but in America, they carry pencils and paper. Janice and Zeller had been told that there was a refugee resettlement program. They had hoped to have governmental assistance in starting a new life. That would hardly end up being the case. Zeller discovered that it was almost completely up to him to find help for the Shinwaris. He helped Janice find a car and to get a job. He had to help them enroll their kids in school and to get his wife into English classes. In a twist of fate, Janice now found himself in a world he did not understand, and Zeller was walking him through it. Janice tells a story about his son when they first arrived at the airport in America. He says his son saw all the people wearing shorts, t-shirts, and tank tops. He felt concerned for them. He asked his father if they were okay. He was worried that they were poor and couldn't afford enough clothing to cover their bodies. Never in their lives had they seen anything like that in Afghanistan. America can be a culture shock to many people. Zeller and others would work to help them adapt to a strange place they now call home. Donations poured in for them. Their story had gained publicity. That publicity was the only reason the Shinwaris were still alive. Donations of furniture and home goods were given to them. A GoFundMe was started that ultimately raised $35,000. Standing outside of Janice's home, Zeller handed him the money. Looking at it, Janice said, I cannot take this. Instead, he proceeded to list off all the translators they had worked with by name. Don't they deserve to be here too? Zeller asked him, What do you want me to do with this money? Janice looked at him and said, Could we use it to start an account to do for others what you have done for me? They will need help once they get here, like you helped me. That day, 
standing in front of Janice's new home. The idea for the organization, No One Left Behind, was started. It would grow into an organization that operates out of five major cities in the U.S. and has resettled and assisted over 5,200 Afghan and Iraqi interpreters and their families. Mad Zeller and Janice Shinwari working at the forefront the whole time. It's my privilege to join you today to administer the Oath of Allegiance. It's always an honor to welcome new citizens. Today is particularly special. I want to recognize Mr. Janice Shinwari, who served for eight years as a translator alongside American troops in Afghanistan. Uh, during his service, he saved the lives of five American soldiers. So please join me in congratulating Mr. Shinwari and in thanking him for his service to the United States. These are difficult times, but we're about to celebrate our 244th birthday as a nation this Saturday. And this will be the first time that you all celebrate with us as fellow Americans, and we're all very pleased to have you join us in that way. And so congratulations again, and God bless each one of you. On June 30th, 2020, in a small room in Fairfax, Virginia, socially distanced and wearing masks, Janice and his wife are sworn in as United States citizens. As this chapter in their life unfolds, roughly 18,000 SIV applicants suffering like they had are still waiting for their cases to be processed. No one left behind doing his best to help them through all of it. In 2020, just a few months before Janice took his oath, special immigrant status applicants, both from Afghanistan as well as Iraq, would make headlines. They would win a decisive victory in the United States Federal Circuit Court. Five SIV applicants would sue the federal government, specifically President Trump's administration over their SIV status. The case claimed that the nine-month limit on processing as imposed by Congress was being broken, a case that was easy to make. At the center of the court case is the tragic story of an Afghan who had worked with American forces who didn't make it out. The court case documents are public record. Page 5 of the document submitted to the circuit court details the death threats and violence the plaintiffs faced from not just the Taliban, but also Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Directly following that section, the court case lays out the tragic details of what happened to someone facing similar dangers. Sakidad Afghan had been waiting four years for his application to be processed. He died before it could happen. The following is verbatim from the court documents describing what happened to Mr. Afghan. Sakadat Afghan started working as a translator for U.S. forces at age 19 in 2009, until 2014 when the base where he worked closed. Mr. Afghan provided faithful and valuable service to the United States. As a result of this service, in the spring of 2015, he was abducted, tortured, and killed. The Taliban left him by the side of the road, 
with a death threat stuffed in his pocket, addressed to his three brothers, who were also working on behalf of the U.S. forces. Mr. Afghan had been waiting for an Afghan SIV for over four years when he was abducted and killed. It is a tragic story that painted a graphic picture of what the plaintiff's fears and concerns were based on. Government data submitted in the court case shows that at least 7,700 applications have been pending for longer than the nine-month benchmark, of which 5,300 of those have waited an average of two and a half to five years. About 2,300 of those applications have waited for a final ruling for an average of three years after getting a background check and approval from the embassy. On February 5th, 2020, U.S. District Judge Tanya S. Chutkin of Washington, D.C., granted class action status to all applicants whose visa requests have been pending for more than nine months, a deadline set by statute. In a following September opinion, the judge called the government's justification for delays tortured and untenable. The court ruling gave the Trump administration 30 days to come up with a solution to end the backlog of applications, citing the danger these people faced. The timing would turn out to be crucial. No one at that time could have predicted how quickly the SIV program for Afghans would be put in jeopardy. A decade of forecasting the end of the Afghanistan war was about to come to a head in a tragic and turbulent way. Thousands of SIV applicants whose visas in limbo for years finally made it out in time to escape the Taliban, sweeping over the nation and eventually taking the seat of power of the Afghan government. The number of special immigrant status Afghans and their families with eligible visas who didn't make it out before the August 30th deadline, the day the U.S. left and the Afghanistan war officially ended, that number is not in the thousands. It is in the tens of thousands. A retired Marine lieutenant who worked with the evacuations told ABC News the motto they had and the motto they worked under during those last fateful days. What they told themselves was this, to just get one more Afghan out. And after we get him or her out, to just get one more. There is a quote from Matt Zeller that shows the sentiment of so many people, those who have been touched by the bravery and loyalty of the Afghan people. He says this, why didn't we take these people out when we still had the personnel and equipment in place to do that? Why did we leave this to the 11th hour when it was going to be the most difficult? If you want to help, please visit nooneleft.org. The mission doesn't stop at just getting people out of a war zone. Many Afghan interpreters who have gotten their visas and made it here in the United States have ended up homeless, hungry, and living on the streets, many of them with children. They need help making a new life. And you and I, 
we can help them do that. Thanks for listening.